Welcome to Screensavers. I'm Michael Gallup. I'm Matt Sturdivant. Together we host the Silver Screen Savers podcast. Tyler's going to join us a little bit later because today we're talking about Pearl, the prequel to one of the best movies of the year, X. We're also going to be talking about the film career of writer and director Ty West. If you want to skip right to our Pearl conversation, go ahead, click the timestamp in the episode description. And for all you lovely people listening, first of all, thank you. We love having you. And second of all, as it comes down to the fall, there are going to be a lot of big movies coming out. And we're going to talk about multiple movies on single episodes sometimes. So if you see an episode listed and it is like The Whale, but and you're like, well, I didn't see The Whale, so I'm not going to listen. Oftentimes, we're going to be talking about some of the other big movies within that episode. So click it or read the episode description to check out what else we're talking about. Um, if you're not into that main movie, there's still going to be other stuff. All right, first, it's our weekly watch list. Matt, what have you been watching this week? So this week, so far, I've been keeping up on Cobra Kai Season 5, which if you're not up on Cobra Kai, definitely recommend it. It's on Netflix. I will admit the season is starting to become a bit soap opera-y, for lack mm. of a better word for it, but I'm loving it. I, I, I've been loving it since the beginning, and it's just a blast to watch. I've also been moving right along on my Halloween movie binge. So as you, some of you may have heard on a previous episode, we are eventually going to be talking about the Halloween movie franchise from start to finish. And in doing so, each of us at the Silver Screen Savers are going to be watching the series from start to finish. The good, the bad, everything in between. So this past week, I knocked out Halloween 3 and 4. I have some thoughts, but we're going to save them for that episode coming up very soon. Only in, what, a few more weeks? Yeah, just give me a quick thumbs up or down on 3. Honestly, thumb between the middle and up for Halloween 3. Like, I I knew full well going into it, Michael Myers wasn't going to be in it. And I think if you go into it realizing that and having that expectation or no expectation, it really isn't too bad. Yeah, I was, and I'll save it for our Halloween episode, but I was excited for the concept of like, okay, it's more of an anthology where this will be another cool Halloween story. Whether that panned out or not, um, one, history can tell you, and two, you, you will find out my thoughts on the episode. You been watching anything else? No, that's about it, but the Big E started up this week, which I'm oh, pretty yeah. happy about. I went to opening night. For those of you not in the know, the Big E is basically... A state fair, but for all of the New England states, it, it actually stands for Eastern States Exhibition. So it's basically all of the New England states, some upstate New York, random, like random other states hop in sometimes. Like there was a Texas exhibit one year. Oh. There's a big um, Irish exhibit there this year. But for all intents and purposes, it's just like a big state fair, which I love fair season. I love the food. I love the farm animals. I love the concerts. And it's just a lot of fun, so I got to go to that over the weekend, so that was fun. Did you see Young Gravy? Yes, I did see Young Gravy. He was one of the openers that he played the same night as the Dropkick Murphys, and I kind of wish I had seen the Murphys. Uh, It wasn't Young Gravy's fault. The venue that it was held in really is not good. It's not set up very well for big crowds, and he brought a big crowd. 
and the sound is pretty lackluster, but I knew that going in. But it was free with admission, so I was like, okay, whatever. Not a huge deal. But um, I am looking forward to catching him at another time in the future. So it was, I'm assuming this was in the main walk-by area? Yeah, it was the main sort of... It was sort of like centralized to the fairgrounds and like under like a big tent. But the big problem is it's all like bench seating and it, the ground is flat. So after... Yeah. The first couple dozen rows, you just can't see anything because everyone's standing up. And some people were standing on top of the benches. Oh. So it just, by the time you got halfway back, you couldn't see anything unless you were on a pair of stilts or something. Honestly. That's annoying. So we there, you've seen Young Gravy and Blue Oyster Cult because we went that mm-hmm. one time. And Real Big Fish, which that was actually a pretty good show. Oh, that's um, cool. But, of course, you know, all the fair food. Got my corn dog. Got my pickle-flavored beer. Did you get a dilly dog? I just got a regular corn dog this time. But I might have to go back for the dilly dog at some point. Would you? I remember you and Tyler were a little disappointed in the dilly dog. I mean, it's it's good, but I it's expensive. So it's probably not worth the price it is, unless you're really craving it. What is it? A, a corn dog... That has, is it the hot dog inside of the pickle? Yeah, so I believe it's a hot dog inside a pickle inside corn dog breading. Um, and I believe they have a bacon wrapped one too. Oh, interesting, huh? <laughs> well, well, that, that does it for Dilly Dog Talk. Uh, mm-hmm. I watched one new thing this week. I went to see see how they run, kind of like a new whodunit mystery uh, 1950s London is a popular stage play based on an Agatha Christie work that is set for a big film adaptation, but the director is murdered after one of the performances. A weathered, drunk veteran detective and a young constable try to solve the case. It was directed by Tom George. I believe this is a new director spotlight. He was a pretty successful TV director. I think this is his first feature. It was written by Mark Chappell. It's pretty fun. The biggest selling point is the performances. Saoirse Ronan is really awesome as this like naive but spirited new protege to Sam Rockwell, who like in the past would have played that like naive, more buffoonish role. But here he's the veteran. He's like a cynical grump. He doesn't want to teach the constable, but they do have a really nice chemistry, a nice back and forth. Adrian Brody, as the director of the film adaptation of this play, maybe my favorite performance in the movie. Obviously, he dies early on. You know that in the trailer. But Tom George, the director, has the good instinct to include him in flashbacks because I, I think he is a big drawing point of this, and he goes early. Overall, there's some funny lines. There's one very interesting storyline, but it's mostly okay. I wasn't really enthralled the entire time. I kind of like went in and out of interest in this. It does this thing that I find quite annoying where it calls out how repetitive whodunits are, and it calls out the own techniques, its own techniques that it uses, and calls its own shots, but then doesn't really transcend them that much. You know, it's one of those things that calls out the genre it's it's working in, and then just doesn't really transcend it all that much. Uh, it, it So, and I'm not saying it did this, but it almost just felt like a preemptive defense 
of itself to like say, oh yeah, whodunits are silly, but like we're gonna do one anyway. And it's like, okay, just do one then. I like just be shameless about it. Just do one. It's fine. Uh, it's not all unsuccessful. I don't know. That that kind of stuff annoys me a little bit sometimes. I feel like it's a fine line to toe between being self aware and just trying to do a movie that's an homage to a well placed genre or subgenre of film like a whodunit or like a slasher film with x earlier this year like as much as i praise x i mean it's a slasher film at the end of the day it's gonna have it has a lot of slasher film tropes but it takes what's existing and still does some new stuff with it so it's possible but just not every movie is capable of taking a pre-existing genre in and morphing it into its own thing you raise a great point and you know what would have made x so much worse is if instead of making a porno and by the way i know it's usually family friendly but we're in the filmography we'll be talking about some adult things today um if x had been instead of them making a porno in the barn they were making a slasher movie and then they really get slashed for real. And I'm not saying that that hasn't been done before. Like stuff like Cabin in the Woods, I think is quite inventive about that kind of thing. Um, or another similar with Sam Rockwell's like Martin McDonough's Seven Psychopaths. But I, I'm just just like be the thing that you are, or have something to say about it. That's what I would say. I agree. But not, I don't want that to make it seem like I didn't like the movie. I liked See How You Run. It was good. All right, we're going to move now to talk about the filmography of Ty West. Uh, two films this year that we loved and a, a very unique voice in horror. Although I will have to say, I think this is the first like director career we've gone over where I think most of his movies are like okay to good. Like I think X was the first really great movie that he made. Not that I didn't, I don't dislike the other movies he made with one exception. I think he uses really interesting techniques and there's really cool stuff in his movies. But I think most of his other movies are like, this was good at most. I I don't know. How do you feel about him? No, I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, I, I didn't quite get a chance to see all of these. So the ones I did see, I really liked. And I, I, you know, for instance, I didn't see Cabin Fever 2, so... I, <laughs> you. if I had, I might be saying something completely different here, but for the most part, I'm a fan of his work. Yeah. So in 2005, he starts out, he has his first movie with the Roost. This is about killer bats that lead to like zombie reanimation when the bats bite people. You can't really watch it. Uh, same with 2007's Trigger Man. That's about friends that are stalked on a hunting mission. I think Netflix had a movie very similar to that. Uh, last year but again it's not those first two are not widely available Uh, so like the first kind of big one is the house of the devil in 2009 this is about a college sophomore who needs some money and takes a babysitting job at a big house in the woods very simple premise something we've seen before but i think he does some cool things with it what do you think of uh, house of the devil i i really enjoyed house of the devil he um it kind of introduces or at least I technically saw this after X, but it, it kind of further emphasized how he he really tries to embody 
whatever time period or whatever genre that he's paying homage to. So like this one is like a haunted house, creepy people movie. Mm -hmm. And for instance, just the opening and end credits, it, it, they look like they're ripped right out of like the mid eighties, seventies and eighties horror movies. And just like, it plays with a lot of tropes but does them in a pretty unique way. It's like you've seen a movie like this before, but you haven't seen this movie. Yeah, I I do like a lot of the callbacks. The one callback I did not like was like the freeze frame opening credits of like, I get it. I She's walking down the road. I don't need 90 different freeze frames of her walking down the road. Uh, but I, it is really cool. It's a very good atmosphere setting movie the house that they're in is really great. It has some really awesome big moments. This movie had me thinking, I feel like what makes a good horror movie are big scary moments where you freak out. And this has that. And I think great horror movies have the big moments, but they also make the in-between quieter stuff interesting. And I think this movie doesn't really do that. None of it's bad. And I was entertained just by the creepy house that this woman is wandering through. But I found this testing my patience a little bit at a couple of points. And this is a 90-minute movie. Um, so I, I just wish the things like in between the big scares had been a little more interesting. When it hit, it hit, though. Like that last yes. scene with Greta Gerwig. Like that, yes. that one got me pretty good. That one got me good, too. Uh, as I mentioned, Fantastic Home. This was shot in Connecticut, so pretty local to us. And he has he really uses these really good techniques. There's this one moment where he just like holds on this pulsating blood-red moon, and it really freaked me out. Uh, there's a moment where the lights go out in the house that is just like, whoa, that, that's insane. I, like, I don't even want to be in my own living room right now. And he's also very good at withholding, right? The first time we meet kind of the creepy owner of the house, we don't see him right away. We just see him talking. And there's also a lot of uh, having the frame on a character and then the cam the character walks away and there's just like holding. So there's a sense of like, is there something else there? Really good. Jocelyn Donahue plays the main character. She's really good. And we also get an early Greta Gerwig. Who was funny in this, and I thought her answering machine was funny, that she tricks people into thinking that she picked up the phone. She was the worst eater. Her character was so awful at eating and so obnoxious, I could never hang out with that person. I can't do it. Uh, I Honestly, I if it was Greta Gerwig, I wouldn't mind. No, I, that, the way she was eating the pizza, like, I can't, no, no way. I can't do it with eating. Isn't that kind of like another trope of just, like, the that that era of horror movies, of just having, like, the most annoying side characters? So you're almost rooting for them to get killed? Yes, I think that, I feel like that was a little late, because sometimes when you watch the, you know, the first ones, the older ones, you're like, Oh, these people are just like pretty normal. I and you know sometimes I prefer that and sometimes not. There is a moment where, <laughs> speaking of pizza, the main character orders a pizza and then like grabs it and then she holds it like upright. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, what happened? What happened to this pizza? You just massacred the pizza. She she forgot it was a prop and the she had that she had to pretend there was an actual pizza in there, like that. 
That means that one side got all the cheese and the other side is just bare. Oh no, but wasn't she kind of freaked out at that point though? So in like her stupor? So it made sense, but it just shows you what I think about holding a pizza up, right? I mean, it, it pizza's sacred, so I mean, it makes sense. Pizza is sacred. Uh, good piano music here by Jeff Grace. Music can really make or break a scary movie, and he did a really great job with that. It also had me thinking, you know, a fascinating kind of challenge for horror movies is that in so many of them, I feel like the climax often kills the mood. You know, they often start out kind of quiet and creepy, and they have to build the tension so that they can explode at the finale. And this movie's really like that. I think the climactic wild scene is really good, but it kind of kills the mood of like exploring the creepy house it's it's like almost a necessary evil like it didn't ruin the movie for me but it was like oh this house was so scary and then once uh, you have to have a really creepy explosion scene in order to like really stick the landing of a movie i'm, I'm getting callbacks to barbarian already <laughs> <laughs> yeah they <laughs> I like that movie, but they gave up on the scares. Yeah, once the curtain's pulled, there's not much left. You're absolutely right about that. Also in 2009, he made Cabin Fever 2, Spring Fever. This is the sequel to the Eli Roth movie, which you have seen, right? How's that one? I I don't remember it being all that great, to be honest. I've never... I'm not a big Eli Roth fan. Yeah, not my favorite Eli Roth, but... It's fine. It was a long time ago that I saw it. It didn't well, stick this... with me like Hostel did. Oh, yeah, that's true. Hostel was big when it came out, I remember. This one is about contaminated water that makes its way to a high school prom. It infects the drinkers with a flesh-eating disease. Obviously directed by Ty West, written by Joshua Malkin. So Ty West disowned this film. <laughs> uh, I think there were some... He was maybe not allowed... Uh, in the editing room as much and he wanted to have this film credited to alan smithy which is like the dga pseudonym for a director who's just like i completely disown this i don't even want anybody to recognize me as the director of this movie and that's what he wanted ultimately it didn't work um so this film is still credited to him however i completely understand why he wanted to do that and i would be very interested in what his vision of this was or what his original intentions were because some of this is okay but much of it is like the most and i don't like saying this kind of thing but it is one of the most abominable piles of garbage that i've seen in my life (laughs) and like i just i don't take joy in saying that kind of thing as i was watching this i was debating like uh, how self-aware is this movie I think it's self-aware at times in trying to be campy and outrageous, and it certainly succeeds in being ridiculous. The screenplay isn't funny enough for this to be a great campy movie. It's like some of the stuff is so bad, has not aged... And like, not that it even didn't age well, it it was born spoiled. Like, it, it couldn't have even not aged well because it was bad when it came out, right? Some of the dialogue is very bad... Like, this film is not at all kind to young women. It's it's just, like, really abhorrent, and I really hated it. Every character is the most ridiculous human being. There is, like, a cool animation 
for the opening credits that like explains the concept of the movie and i thought that was pretty inventive um they do the same thing at the like the ending 15 to 20 minutes is some of the worst stuff i've ever seen in my life it's so bad and i'm just like i have to shut this off and then it ended and i was like thank the lord just terrible um giuseppe andrews plays winston he's enjoyable but i did want to note this he has a big stack of pancakes at one point doesn't put any syrup or butter or uh, or anything on it and i'm like what's going on here man they didn't have a syrup Uh. budget come on (laughs) you ever eat plain plain pancakes Uh, uh yeah not willingly I've had pancakes that were good enough to eat alone, but I wouldn't eat this like big old stack without anything. Actually, you know what? I take that back. I did. I did um, make some. Pan- I made some pancakes one time, but they were like frosted pancakes. Oh, okay, made, so like, that's this bourbon, different. Bourbon buttercream frosting. That was just riffing on breakfast one day. It was basically no. like a dessert, but um, I couldn't put syrup on that. It was already way too sweet. This uh. These babies were plain, plain Jane. Yeah, Yeah, no, I I didn't understand that at all. Two years later, Ty West makes The Innkeepers a better movie. It's about two employees at a supposedly haunted inn that is closing, and they encounter the spirit of a woman who met a violent end in the hotel. This was shot at the actual Yankee Peddler Inn in Torrington, Connecticut. Yankee Peddler, not in Torrington, Connecticut, but the venue of our senior prom, Mm -hmm. if you remember that. I was wondering which Yankee Peddler it was in that movie. Yeah, I did look it up for that specific reason. Uh, it'd be cool if it was the same one. Yankee Peddler burned down. <laughs> John Ravani's ass out. <laughs> Works with his brother now. <laughs> no, but uh, it actually is not there anymore. Yeah, it is not. <laughs> this is a pretty classic like haunted hotel movie. You know, the hotel has a violent history creepy things start to happen the employees start to see things the main draw here is sarah paxton who's just a really enjoyable presence and pat healy is the other star he's an actor i've always really enjoyed they're a nice pair they make it watchable even though this movie isn't great it has some creepy bits it has some funny bits uh if anybody's ever tried to like throw a bag in a dumpster without touching the dumpster too much then you will understand one of the sequences here it has chapter titles. I don't know why chapter titles exist in movies. I understand that everything I watch in two hours is within the same story. I just, I like, I don't understand it. It's, it's been done okay in some movies, but otherwise, I just, and it's been prevalent like this year, twenty twenty two chapter titles. I, don't, I don't get it. What's the point, Matt? What's I mean, the point? I mean, if it's a, if it's an anthology, I'd say they get a pass, right? Okay, I mean, yes, totally, good point. I mean, Vortex, a film anthology, had chapter titles. Shout out to Grace and Barry Productions. All right, well, that makes sense. But um, you're, I know you're talking more about, like, Nope and that. Yeah, I just don't get it. But, I, I mean, I don't... I, it's a creative I choice, I guess. It, yeah. You know, you, I'm not a director, I'm not a writer, I, I don't really have the insight. Yeah. I'm just I, a consumer. Yeah, I don't mean to be overly critical, I just, I just don't understand <laughs> it. There is a scene in this where the main character, Sarah Paxton, uh, sees a piano playing by itself. 
freaky and she runs to the the other employee's room where he's sleeping so she thinks she's just seen a ghost she's scared out of her mind he answers the door she explains what happened she wants to wait in his room but then she sees that he's wearing tidy whities because he was sleeping and she's like so disturbed that she like forgets that there was a ghost. She's just like, "Oh, I'm gonna go." Like, I, I'm, I'm like, "Did I miss something here? Was there some other reason?" But was like, it, was it the dad from Antlers? Was it the dad? Was he the dad in Antlers? No! Oh no! no oh, oh! 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 No! No! He had underwear. It wasn't nude crying dad. That was one of the worst things. Oh! I like antlers. Those are the most disturbing things I have seen. So uh, unnecessary. Oh, thanks, thanks for putting that in my head. Again. Never, never thought I'd have to call back to antlers on this one. Yeah, yeah. I didn't th- <laughs> believe me. I didn't think you were either. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's in the innkeepers. There starts to be like the beginning of an interesting discussion of like our society's obsession with artists and like we think that we think that artists and like people who strive to be at the top are like the best most evolved human beings like we can't accept that somebody's like yeah i just like to work at an inn and live my life which i like the movie for that because i think it's a messed up attitude to have just let people do what they want to do um it's kind of dropped though it's so there was a glimmer but it's dropped Ty West did a a section of the found footage movie VHS in 2012. I think he did the second honeymoon segment. And then in 2014, released The Sacrament. This is another found footage movie about vice reporters who travel to a remote religious community to search for a friend's sister. Matt, what did you think of The Sacrament? Um, So I, I enjoyed The Sacrament. I thought it was pretty good. It was effective in the scares, but um, also kind of free. I'm I'm also notably freaked out by cults of like religious zealots. Like that's like my that's like my clowns or my snakes hmm. that other people have their fears of. Religious communes just kind of freak me out because I've seen plenty of documentaries about actual cults, which this movie was heavily based on an actual cult. Yeah. Um, it does a lot with relatively little if that makes sense like i know the budget wasn't big it didn't make a lot of money they but they also didn't really have to do a lot to make it effective with the found footage no they didn't um it uh it was it was pretty good uh, i forgot the name of the actor who played the father the head of the cult he was gene jones gene jones uh like he he could have been an actual cult leader. Like he, he was pretty. I was pretty immersed in that role. Yeah, he was really good. There's some really gnarly, brutal stuff that happens in this movie. A tough watch for sure, but it was pretty effective, and I and I I enjoyed it for the most part. As much as you can enjoy a creepy movie like this. Yeah, it's incredibly disturbing. As you mentioned, it's based on the real events of the Jonestown massacre in 1978. Jonestown was the remote settlement in Guyana, founded by the People's Temple and its leader, Jim Jones. Um, there was a massive forced suicide murder. I really like found footage movies. I like sort of like the limits and the way that filmmakers play around in it. And this has an interesting use of it in that 
the community at first does not allow the vice reporters to film so they have to sneak it at first sometimes it stretches the limits of believability and sometimes it just kind of like gives up on the found footage at certain points like it didn't bother me yeah it didn't bother me too much but it was like i don't know you kind of set up your stakes and then it, it wasn't a big deal but it was interesting yeah i was wondering how they got some of those shots like some of those shots definitely weren't found footage yeah i think they just kind of had some found footage and then some just like you know the omniscient camera kind of thing yeah which it's okay it's fine it didn't bother me i i'm fascinated somewhat by cults like the idea of people saying like this regular way we have of living we don't need to do it that way we're gonna do it a different way and this movie has all the hallmarks of that uh father as you mentioned like a really charismatic leader who cuts down all outside opposition or questioning of what he's doing but within the community makes everyone feel really special and as you mentioned gene jones is really effective at that he has an interview scene with the vice guys where it's really a showcase for his acting abilities he he knocks that out of the park you know it has regular people who back in their past lives were in desperate situations and they joined the community for a better way of life, right? And the the outsiders come in, everything seems too good to be true. The documentarians are very skeptical. So all, all the tenets of this are here. A couple of good performances. Amy Drymitz is good as Carolyn, who's like the sister of the friend of these reporters. And AJ Bowen is, is good as Sam, who's the vice reporter. Ty West said he wanted the violence to be upsetting in this movie, and it definitely is. Really disturbing stuff in here. It's not gory, and I think that's what makes it disturbing, is that it's very realistic, and it often like lingers on these regular people getting terribly messed up. Yeah, I, um, I was very shocked that it basically went there, which when, when you folks see the movie, you'll know what I mean. It pulled no punches with its depiction of a cult that is manipulated into doing uh, an absolutely terrible thing. And, you know, it's it's grisly in real life, but even just like a fictional depiction of it is just it was it's just a tough watch, but it, it's effective. Yeah, they, they go there and they stay there. It like lasts for a bit. Um, it's a well-made movie. I, I like it. 2016 makes In a Valley of Violence. This is not a horror movie. It's a Western. It's about a drifter in the desert who comes upon a small, poor town and gets into conflict with the local citizens and the town marshal. It has a good opening, standoff scene. I like it. And it uses some of his horror techniques. There's like an alteration of light and dark, these pulsating things that, uh, you know, really make your heart race. Some good stuff about like the futility of violence. I don't know if the themes are like that well developed. This is one of the few non-Avengers times that I've enjoyed Karen Gillan. Like I'm, I am in love with her as Nebula. Outside of it, I just haven't like I haven't clicked with her, and I don't know why. And then I watch this, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm glad. I really liked her in this. I always like when I get to enjoy a performer that I haven't previously enjoyed that much. Ethan Hawke is the star of this. He's very he's very understated. He's good. 
I wouldn't call it his best performance or his best role. One of the things that I love about him is he puts his weight and his name behind these really cool indie projects. Like he had a movie a couple of years ago called Adopt a Highway that I thought he was fantastic in. And that movie was really good. Um, and I thought this was good. He, he's, he's had better roles. He was okay. This movie is, it's all right. Um, as a Western, I think it's pretty successful. I'm not going to watch it again. And I don't, know if my time spent watching it was that valuable so let let me ask you this though of notable horror directors that came out of nowhere and created a western who did it better ty west or sam raimi (laughs) that's a great question i really you can listen listen to our episode on dr strange and the multiverse of madness we go through the filmography of sam raimi which i love i do not like the quick and the dead i would say i like these films pretty much similarly i might like this one a little bit more because there's like a pretty well-developed story and characters here um quick and the dead is just like promises you a a great series of standoffs and then it's just like oh okay this is fine (laughs) so i I'll, i'll give a slight edge to this but I don't really like either film that that much. We're still waiting for someone to hit it out of the park. <laughs> yes, that's. I'm gonna look for examples let's, after let's, this. Let's let's get a Jordan Peele western. Well, I mean, nope. Uh, I guess kind that's of kind western. of yeah. Uh, you're right. You're right. I originally thought that that's what you were gonna ask me. Oh, <laughs> nah. I, I uh, when I saw the poster for this one, to be fair, I didn't see it. But um, when I saw the poster for this one, I, it, I immediately thought of The Quick and the Dead for some reason. Oh, yeah. That's, well, that's, you had good reason to think of it. I like that I like that point, though. I'm going to keep looking for that stuff. And then this year, 2022, we got X. We have a whole episode on this. It's one of our most fun episodes to record. It's a fantastic slasher horror thrill ride. Great exploration of regret, resentment, sex, violence. By far his best movie up to that point. Is it his best movie... So far, that remains to be seen in the next segment. Do you have anything else to say on X? Well, Tyler did get his catchphrase from the X episode that we recorded. Oh, yeah, down to bone. <laughs> yeah. Which is not, not what it sounds like. No, it was just a um, a little vocal blunder on my part that Tyler will never let go of. <laughs> yes. That's just, So if you're one of the rare people that listens to the very end of every episode, you will hear Tyler say that every single time. Mm-hmm. All right, we are going to take a short break, and then we're going to talk about Pearl with Tyler after a brief word from our podcast friends. Stick around. Looking for a podcast all about nerddom? Want a podcast with an emphasis on representation? The Nerd Alternative is the podcast for you. Join me, Ram. Me, Hassan. And me, Levi. Three black British nerds tackling the pop culture we love and sharing why we love them. The Nerd Alternative, a sweet melting pot of all things nerdy. All right, we're back with Tyler talking about Pearl. This is the origin story of Pearl, the villain from X. She is a young woman living on a remote Texas farm with her parents during the 1918 influenza pandemic. She dreams of becoming a star chorus girl, but her husbands are overseas. Her parents are overbearing. 
and when she attempts to escape home and continues to fail, she releases her violent impulses, directed by Ty West, written by West and Mia Goth, who stars. Matt, what were your thoughts on Pearl, and would you recommend it? Oh my goodness, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Just as much as X, 100%. Um, It's a very different type of movie from X, is what I will say. So while I love them both equally, it's for pretty different reasons. Like you said in your article on the website, Mike, it's definitely more of a psychological horror than a slasher. It's filmed in this gorgeous technicolor to really make it look almost like a dark, twisted, messed up Wizard of Oz or Sound of Music. I I love the aesthetic going into it. It was very sharply written. Ty West and Mia Goth collaborated and did a great job. Mia Goth absolutely knocked it out of the park, in my opinion. I loved her in this. The only small dings I'll give to it is it does feel a little bit long, but it's another one of those movies like Nope from this year where it felt long, but I was enjoying every second of it, so I didn't mind. Okay, and that interesting. monologue at the climax, just so good. I did check out a couple times during it, but... It was still very good. Yeah, throw all the roses. Tyler, what did you think? So I will start this with, I was a little disappointed that it was such a different movie because I loved X for being like such a good slasher film. I've talked a lot about that in recent episodes and our X episode. But I will say I did love this movie. Um, I thought it was equally as good as X. I, I, I liked X a little more, I will say that. But I'm, I'm shocked at how well he pulled off Ty West pulled off such a different movie within the same universe like a prequel to this where it wasn't a slasher film the story was much better in this one than x i think in x the slasher elements overcame the fact that you know like that's what the story is building up to and you know that i think this one was way more dramatic and the story was much more engaging in my opinion so i I did like this movie even though i was disappointed it wasn't as much of a slasher as x Yes, I will concur with Matt. I think this movie is phenomenal. It's one of my favorites of the year. I don't think I've seen a better performance than Mia Goth. I looked through the list of the movies that I've seen this year, and I'm like, I I just don't know if I've seen a better one. Uh, This character is incredibly unhinged, but by the writing and the performance, I never lost sympathy for this person. I felt connected to this person obviously with it but like without excusing the behaviors like you the behaviors are still monstrous but like i understood and connected with what was in this person's heart which i think is really part of the magic of the movie yeah i i 100 agree that mia goth is, is the one that sells it i think honestly like there's a scene where i'm not gonna say what but pearl has already done some pretty despicable things by this point and there's a scene where she's absolutely just in a cry- a crying mess and just feeling completely destroyed. And it's like after she's done all this messed up stuff, I'm still genuinely sympathizing with her and like feeling bad for her, even though really like, you really shouldn't feel bad for the character. And I think that's a very impressive feat. I completely agree. You raise a lovely point. I think this movie is incredibly insightful about the dark stain that movies can leave on some people. Like, 
you think that by achieving your dreams and dreams can become very insidious and kind of break you down um but you think by achieving a certain level of fame then you will like be as happy as you ever need to be and everything will be fine if you can just get to a certain point um and you know that's that's not always the case i think this movie is is wonderfully insightful about our struggles people's struggles about being viewed the way we want to be right we want people to view us in as the person that we think we are as the person we want to be as the person we may convince ourselves we want to be um and pearl just completely embodies that as far as a recommendation as you guys already talked about it's not a horror movie in the sense that you're just waiting for people to be killed it's really more of a violent character study or like a devastating drama. I obviously loved it. If you're going for the fun and zaniness of X, this is not that. And I think that's where some people are getting hung up. And I completely understand that because X was so fun. This is much more contemplative than that. But if you're in the mood for something, it's still wild. Still a lot of crazy things happening. But if you're in the mood for something wild, that's also intellectually rich i definitely recommend this and as we've all been saying mia goth as pearl best of the year and i was thinking about this as i was writing my review i'm like do we have a scorsese de niro situation on our hands because mm-hmm. i know it's only been two films so far but it's like That's playing do jordan peele <laughs> yeah, yeah, Daniel True. Yes, it's Jordan. <laughs> That's true. Uh, you know, but Mia got playing both Maxine and Old Woman Pearl in X, which both great, both of those, she's absolutely radiant as Maxine and devastating as Pearl, and then ramped that even much more so in, in this movie. You know, I'm just like. I think we got something here. As long as they keep making stuff together, then there's a real director-actor partnership right here. I love it. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Uh, Tandy Wright, who plays Ruth, Pearl's mother. I don't think <laughs> I knew her name was Ruth during the movie. It's just one of those things that I saw after. I feel like I don't know most characters' names I probably wouldn't have known Pearl's name if her name was not the title of the movie. So, I I don't know. It's not something I ever pick up on. Uh, She was really great. She, you know, is kind of like the classic overbearing, overprotective mother, wants her daughter just kind of like to make the most of things. But then she has a scene later on in which she reveals a little bit more of herself. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa, I cannot look away from this. This is great. And Matthew Sunderland is the father. He he does a lot with quite a little um, because her father is completely paralyzed. But he has a few like facial expressions that are really telling. I, I thought he was really good. What was your guys' non-Mia Goth favorite performance in the movie? I'm also going to go with Mia Goth's mother. As the... <laughs> <laughs> Mia Goth's mother? She's a great Mia actress. Goth. Runs in the Mia Goth's mother was incredible. No, I'm also going to go with Pearl's mother as the, the other standout performance with the scene you mentioned, Mike, where uh, she kind of unravels and reveals like why her character the way it is. You really don't see that in those kind of characters, so it's nice to get that scene to kind of show 
the psychology behind them and you kind of sympathized with this awful character that you're supposed to hate and i thought that was really well done mm. i feel like i'm gonna have to go with the father just because i don't want to go with the mother again you guys have said plenty what i agree with but the father you're you're right mike it is kind of an understated performance because of his condition but um he tells a lot with his facial expressions and honestly, yeah. I felt so bad for the guy. Like, first he gets the flu, and then the rest of the stuff happens. And he's just, he did not have a good week. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, he did not. An understatement of the year. Any love for uh, the Scarecrow? Scarecrow, best, best non-Mia Goth performance, maybe? The Scarecrow was the most erotic character of the film, I will give Yeah, for sure. <laughs> As far as this not being much of a horror movie and more of like a violent drama, Matt, you said something afterward that was really smart in that you said that you wish they hadn't have given away so much of the stuff in the trailers. And I agreed. It was like, I didn't even realize it until you said it, but I was like, there weren't really any surprises in this movie. I wasn't surprised by anything but that didn't ruin the movie for me at all, which again goes to this, you know, it's, it's, it is more dramatic. It's a little more searing. I know, I know you guys already said, but like, was this a disappointment in the moment that you're, were you waiting for it to be more of a horror movie? I mean, I, I just wanted to spend more time in the universe. Yeah. yeah. And so in the moment I was kind of disappointed cuz I was waiting for it to go crazy like X did and it never did, but also at the same time I think Mia Goth's performance was so good that like I was saying me and you were saying after Matt that we would rather cuz Maxine which got I think greenlit now is the sequel to X. We would have rather like another prequel that was Pearl in between and kind of just her in the years leading up to X, I think just because I like that character so much. So that won me over, even though it wasn't that slasher film that I went in expecting. That would have been a good way to kind of dive into, which who knows, they could still do it. You never know. Um, it would be a cool to look into Pearl and Howard's relationship in the years between Pearl and X, which we'll, yes. we'll get into why that's so fascinating later. Um, Another afterthought I have with this movie, I feel like it would have been a cool thing it, if they had done kind of like what the Fear Street trilogy did and brought back most of the ex-actors for different roles in this one. You could have, you know, easily put Britney Snow in as the mother-in-law. You could yeah. have had, like, R uh, the guy that played RJ be the projectionist. I don't want to use that as like a critique, but that was just the kind of thing that would have been cool to see, but it doesn't, it didn't affect the movie anyway, at any point. I completely agree. I, I think that's a really, really cool idea. Um, and I, I do wish it was more like Fear Street in the sense that Fear Street was obviously planned to have that release schedule at first. And I think this was just kind of like, Oh, A24, I have this, and they greenlit him, which was really cool. Um, quick side note about Fear Street. I recently read the Fear Street Part 1, 1994, one of the versions of the screenplay, like the original one, vastly different from the final product. Um, and 
would have been interested to see what that was like had they made it in that version. But that's just a quick little side note for any Fear Street fans. Yeah, I also think that Pearl... Oh, by the way, Martin Henderson, who plays like the porn producer in X, should have been the Scarecrow. <laughs> that that would have been hilarious. <laughs> no, make Anna de Armas the Scarecrow. Then Tyler will go back. That'll be the only movie I would have appreciated that. Yeah, but she wouldn't scare crows away. She'd be a really bad scarecrow. That's true. The opposite of what you want. Cass Tyler is all of the crows. <laughs> yeah, it was just some guy that showed up on set and wouldn't leave. They kept me in. I think that this movie has the wrong poster. Because from the couple of posters that I've seen, it's like Pearl in her red dress like holding an axe or something smiling like she's like delighted to be killing everybody and that's just not at all what this movie is we've talked so much this year about marketing of films the correct way to like communicate what a film is to an audience and i think that these posters are like not not evocative of what this movie is actually about bad marketing there's our time to talk about lamb <laughs> yeah. i d- yeah true I don't think any of this movie's marketing was on point for what we got because they did seem to market it like it was a straight up sequel to or a prequel yeah. to X and that like because like this is kind of spoilery but they showed most of the carnage in the trailers like they focused on that yeah they really did which like in the context of the movie some of it isn't even like like what they showed didn't give the good a good picture which we'll talk about in spoilers yeah the scene i'm specifically talking about but this is a problem i think a24 just has a lot i've mentioned this a lot lamb like lamb but like they just it's so weird that that's the poster they portray because it does look like a slasher with her in the red dress smiling with the bloody hands and the axe and it's just such a weird way to market this film like it looks like serial mom the John Waters movie. like I... <laughs> It does make a really good lock screen on my phone. <laughs> okay, yes, this is true. I I don't know. I, it's one of those posters that I'm like, oh, I, I almost don't want this because I feel like it's not, I don't know, it's rubbed me the wrong way. Not that it's a big deal. Just something I noticed afterward. Like you said, the Technicolor, it's, this movie is like drenched in a rainbow I looked really incredible and I thought it really worked thematically too because Pearl is all about dressing up very ugly things. Everything she does, as horrific as it is, is like clothed in pageantry, right? So you have the farm and it looks like something out of Babe, right? It looks like something incredibly idyllic. But then you realize this is Pearl's prison. She doesn't want to be here. This is like the center of her emotional turmoil for her whole life and it really reflects the fact that when she's doing all these really bad things there is like a concurrent fantasy that's going on in her head that looks like a movie just like she did in x right always with the dancing or something after she's killing somebody so i i thought that was really great a really a really nice sync of technical achievement and storytelling i also like the way that this movie deals with the influence that film has on people and ty west has said that this is kind of one of his his running motivations behind these movies i just so effective 
Pearl is seeing these chorus girls up on screen, a star. She admires them so much. She sees how much other people admires them. And I think this happens to a lot of people where you're just like, wow, I just, I just wish that I could be loved and admired in that kind of a way. Um, and it, it becomes very like insidious and toxic. Uh, and you want your like you want the best version of yourself to be shown on film and to like be immortalized and saved on film. Um, so I like that they explored this dark aspect of the medium that they are operating in. Because we see so many like film celebrating films, but then this one was kind of like, ah, uh, it, it kind of messes people up sometimes. Uh, am I off base at all? I don't think no, so. I'd say it's pretty well said there. Okay, I'm glad. Sometimes I'm just a, an idiot. Uh, the the interesting thought this was very good as far as setting the world that was lived in. Right, there is the influenza thing. It was this was maybe the best COVID movie that doesn't just like shove COVID <laughs> directly into your face, for lack of a better term. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I did like the you know the isolationism. It gave a very credible reason for the mother being so overbearing because you have her she has her husband who's like already on the verge of death and like you can't like you cannot bring a single germ to this farm right we have that we have world war one you know if howard uh pearl's husband she's already married by the time this movie starts if he hadn't gone to world war one what would the movie have looked like and it raises this question that we'll never get the answer to of like if she, excuse me, if this had been five years earlier, five years later, could she have been something else? Would her life have looked differently? But like things just kind of happen as they will. Also, I looked this up, the lifespan of an alligator, because what's the alligator's name? Theta? Theta, yeah. Alligator, there is some conflicting information on this, but I got a wide range and maybe some scientist who's listening is going to like scream at their phone seems anywhere from like 30 to 70 years is how long alligators can live cuz i don't know if you guys were wondering this but i was like is this the alligator i was from X? that and i how old do we think do, do we know how old pearl is in the movie exactly i don't think so I don't think they say. No, I don't recall either. Um, but what is it, 61 years later that X takes place? So maybe if yeah. it's a... Yes. I mean, it's probably a pretty old alligator, I guess. I mean, you gotta assume it's the same alligator because she kind of killed all its babies, but... Well, did she kill all of them? Well, one of them. I was one. wondering... I thought she was going to keep the egg and that was going to be the later alligator... Uh, 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 we're getting a little spoilery, but that, that also is inconsequential yeah. to the story. So, yeah, uh, we'll get into the spoilers in a second. I just one other thing I wanted to say: if anybody's ever seen the movie The King of Comedy, uh, Robert De Niro stars as Rupert Pupkin, who is a up and not even up and coming. He is a wannabe stand-up comedian, and he's trying to get on this late-night show, and just like nobody is giving him what he is asking for, so he turns to psychotic methods to do things. I just thought this was like so closely connected to Pearl 
incredible double feature pearl and the king of comedy two movies that i love wasn't that movie based on joker though Ugh, stop <laughs> stop get out of here yeah go get out of here. i liked joker but no king of comedy is is where it's at also another uh scorsese de niro so there's another connection there all right, we are going to get into spoilers for Pearl. <laughs> well, I'm going to yeah, die someday okay. anyway, right? What? Honey. Wow. Are you oh, kidding really? me? You just ruin it oh, every oh. time. Oh. I'll see you at home. Well, wait so a second. rude. Now, how would you not know that that was taking place? Let's talk about the projectionist. So he flirts with her after he sees her outside of the show. And then he shows her the pornographic film from Europe. I liked that they didn't like go in that direction and it was like, oh, now Pearl's gonna be a porn star in Europe. I just kind of like that they dangled it and then like didn't go fully in that direction. So uh, speaking of that scene in that film that he was showing her, um, yeah, so A24, their marketing has been a little iffy, but sometimes they just go there. And fun fact for this movie, they launched a website called pearlspeepshow.com and it has several archival like from that era pornographic clips like silent yeah. movie pornos from the time you know period I... <laughs> and it's out there for free for people to watch you know what i liked about that film is that they clearly weren't even trying to focus on story for those pornos it was like no I don't want to get too graphic. I'm not trying to get get graphic either. I'm just saying it's there. And the fact that they went there is impressive. There was one part I just didn't even believe. I'm like, no no human being would ever act this way. I don't want to say what it is, but... You don't know you weren't alive back then. No, it was... It was a different time, Mike. (laughs) <laughs> Once you guys hear what it is, then you'll know. Uh, we we, we but, wouldn't be here without it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> no, this this went beyond what it takes for us to be here. This was beyond. In fact, he the man's interrupted. <laughs> Just never mind. Never mind. Um, that I found that amusing. Um, so her and the projectionist sleep together. There's kind of like this this lust that's like struggling to break out in Pearl. And I think she also kind of, you know, sees him as her ticket to another kind of career. Do you think that he would have actually stuck with her if she had not gone crazy back at her house? Do you think he would have taken her along? I don't think so. I I think that was just all his character. It's tough to say. That's the drifter. For me, it's tough to say. He, Because, I mean, he didn't really seem that sus, or at least any more sus than any other man of the era. No, yeah, I felt like he was a pretty normal guy. And also, when he drops her off back at the house, like, he goes inside. I don't know if he knew her parents were there or not, but I feel like he could have just scooted not that i'm defending him but i don't know but he does have that like that big bohemian thing where he's like oh i just pack up and go whenever and so i don't know i I couldn't get like a total read on this guy i thought uh he was very good uh the name of the actor is david corn sweat 
He, he was quite good in this. The Scarecrow scene, I really enjoyed this. It's her ballroom dancing and then doing it with a Scarecrow. I... <laughs> I mean, who amongst us? <laughs> Not even for that. I don't know. I just, it was, again, it was this thing where it's like everything she does is dressed in this pageantry, right? She, this, first of all, this scarecrow, love the look of it. Cause it was like, it was like the saddest scarecrow that I've ever seen. And, you know, she's like, she's dancing around with this thing after she takes it off its post and you see it again, and it's just like this sad bag of straw. And you're like, this is so bizarre, but she's clearly so caught up in her fantasy world that it doesn't matter. So I like the scene for that. So was that her family's scarecrow, or was it just some random farmer's scarecrow? I don't think that was her family's plot. So if you're a farmer and you just come out there and your scarecrow's on the ground... Do yeah, you think like, your scarecrow just fell over, or? Uh, it depends. If the scarecrow has a smile on his face, then you know what happens. <laughs> You're like, God damn it! Another person tried to make love to my scarecrow again. <laughs> Imagine that was like his grandfather's hat on the scarecrow. She just took it. Uh, so, the alligator egg. Tyler, was this the scene that you were referring to when you... Yes. So I thought the like. same exact thing. Um, care to explain? So they used this in the trailer as kind of like a... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a... Uh, not a red herring. Um, they use it in like a bunch of scenes of like chaos to make it look oh. like she's on a rampage. And like the explosion of Howard. Well, you find out later it's Howard. And then it turns out it's just a dream sequence, like a blink-and-you-miss-it shot of her actually just breaking the egg. And I thought they used that in combination with the other, like, kills. There's very few kills in this compared to eggs. Um, and they use it in that to kind of make it seem like she's going on, like, an X-type rampage. So I thought that's why the marketing was weird. Because, I mean, that's that's a shot. That's a crazy shot of a person just exploding. So, like, you really wonder what's happening there, and then it is literally just a dream sequence. I think you said it absolutely perfectly. Those are all my thoughts exactly. I I don't want to say struggled a bit, but I was curious as to, like, why they kept the alligator egg scene in there. And, you know, I tried to dig a little deep. Maybe I'm just full of BS, but I thought about the egg and about, like, the dual images of the egg exploding and Howard exploding. And we get her confessional later that she was going to have a baby with Howard and she never wanted to be a mother. And like that died. So I didn't know if like the egg smashing was a parallel of like, she doesn't want to be tied down by anything else to the farm, right? She doesn't want this baby alligator to be born and have it be her pet which might keep her there. She didn't want to be the mother and have to stay at the farm, right? She doesn't want new life that's going to be dragging her down. So she squeezes the life out of the egg. And Howard also, because Howard, like she says, she thought Howard was her way out because he's from a well-off family who's more metropolitan. But then he wants to stay at the farm. And she's like, what the hell, dude? So it was, I thought... I don't know, I could be totally wrong, but I thought that whole thing was about her 
finally like snapping off all the the hooks that were keeping her to the farm. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Could be could be totally a whack job stuff. Uh, I I could see where you're coming from there personally, and I mean it. It's good to have a movie that makes you think like that. Yeah, because that that was the one scene like narratively that I was struggling with a little bit. Um, it was also interesting that Pearl. I, this isn't really the story of a normal girl who goes insane and then kills people. Pearl already seems to have something slightly off about her. You know, in the beginning, she, that poor goose. That goose also just had no instincts. What are you doing, goose? Add that to our in-memoriam segment. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll add that to the document after the goose. Um but the goose is just standing there. She kills the goose rather violently to feed it to her pet alligator, which is like, okay, you have a... Listen, people feed their pet meat all the time, so it's like, okay. But then there's also the scene where she's, like, testing how paralyzed her father is, and she's poking his skin, and then she chokes him, like, to see if he'll react... And you're like, this is clearly somebody who has violent impulses and probably has from a very young age. And I think that's also part of the reason why she was trying to be this star. Because I think she was almost trying to hide from her own like disgusting part of herself that she knew that she had inside her. Um, and that also goes right into the, the, the mother's monologue thing where she tells her that she like, see something sinister in her daughter and she like hates to look at her um and that she lives a horrible life right she doesn't want to be her husband's mother but she has to be and then she is she is burned and i was not expecting it to go down quite like that but did you guys think that the mother had died i did yeah, at first but then obviously we find out that she was still hanging on down there in that basement yeah i i thought the same thing which leads me into my one nitpick from the movie is that the projectionist after they have their affair comes to the farm. So we have the mother's burning flesh that's been left in the house. And we have the father who has probably not been changed or bathed in quite a while now. Would, would he not notice any smell? No smell in the house? He's trying to keep his cool. He didn't want to set Pearl Yeah, but, it, like, Mitzi does the same thing when she comes in later. She's True. not like, ugh, what's going on in here? <laughs> yeah, does it smell like a burnt human being? Yeah, was... You know what I want to say about the pacing in this movie, too, before each of these major parts, like when the mom catches on fire and she kills a projectionist and all that? Going back to the aesthetic of the movie a bit, the Technicolor, to me, was so disarming... There were several times that I forgot I was watching a horror movie or at least like a oh. dark thriller. Interesting. Like, uh, it, it almost lulled me into a sense of security and then something messed up would happen with like the father or the mother catching on fire. And it, yeah, it's just like point. another another credit for it for me. Yeah, so, you know what really got me was the wallpaper inside the house. Every time I saw that, I was like, "This is." I, there was something about it that was very overwhelming to me. Um, it was almost like coming off the screen 
Tyler's very amused by my fear of wallpaper. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, the, the projectionist. Also, I was wondering what Pearl's plan was because she introduces him to her father. And I know her father is paralyzed and he's not going to say anything, but like, I, I don't know. Was she being going to be like, oh, this is my new man. I'm like, Howard's dead to me. This is my new guy. Here he is. Or was she just, was it just spur of the moment she couldn't really do anything? Because I feel like she could have easily hid her father. I don't know if she necessarily, that's eh, tough. I don't, I don't know if she really necessarily, maybe she forgot the father was still there when she brought him over. Well, no, because didn't she say, hey, give me a second, yeah. went in and like cleaned up the father and then go in and got him? Yeah, oh, she did. yeah, true. So she could have just easily hidden him. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe she was kind of just like, oh, this is my new life now. Yeah, like, I'm going to assume that Her- Howard's dead. Um, I don't know. That, that, that was interesting to me, too. I'll ask you guys this. What, at what, imagine you're the projectionist. At what red flag would, have, would you have been out? Uh, just being in a house and there's just a slamming in the <laughs> door. Uh, me, it probably would have been the scent of burning flesh, but Matt, I want yeah, to hear the smell. The smell yeah. <laughs> Matt, I want to hear your answer. <laughs> um, did you hear the ba- did you hear the banging before you met the dad, or was it after? Uh, uh, I would assume before because I don't think she let him in the house yet. But that's a good question. I mean, I guess whichever one came first, the dad or the banging in the basement. I think the dog story was the nail in the coffin. Yeah, I was good. I was just about to say the dog story. Um, I mean, I I guess I could, because I could have easily, you know, you could rationalize the other stuff, but then the dog story, that's, <laughs> that was an How effective f- nail in the coffin, <laughs> and it, it, obviously the point of no return at that point. Yeah, uh, yeah. She doesn't. She rationalize the banging, saying that there's the dog. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the dog. And then like two seconds later, she's like, "We don't have a dog. What are you talking about? <laughs> How do you mess up your story that clo- That's it's like literally thirty seconds apart." So as we were sitting there in the theater, I was trying to think of like what could she have said that would have been like an effective save, and I could not have come up with anything in the moment. So, uh. Pearl, come on. It was more than 30 seconds. They had to walk from the house to the barn, and then she showed all her animals. I'm saying once she said, oh, we don't have a dog, and he went, oh, I thought you said you did. I was trying to think, like, oh, "Oh, what could she say at that point that would have (laughs) saved it? I'm just kidding. That's my mom's uh, burning body (laughs) trying to break through the door. And then he would be like, ah, he's just clearly joking. Yeah, like, maybe if I'm honest with him, he'll he'll let his guard down. (laughs) This poor man gets a gets a pitchfork as he's sitting in the car. Not not great. The poor man. So that's that's one of her chances at stardom that's dead. Her other chance was this church traveling dance troupe with her sister in law, Mitzi. Um I I really like this scene. This scene like really broke my heart. Yeah, that's what uh, I was getting at earlier. Yeah, please please elaborate on that. So, she auditions for this traveling dance troupe, and you wouldn't know it by her audition that she wouldn't get the part. 
because it was extravagant and fantastic looking. But also, I think it somewhat illustrates her sort of warped vision and her warped view of reality because the sequence we're seeing, we're seeing what she's seeing and there's all these background numbers and props and all this craziness going on in the background while she's doing this song and dance. Yeah. And by the time she finishes and they reject her because she's not blonde or young enough, was it? Or was it just blonde? Yeah, younger and blonde. Younger and blonder, like, yeah, spoiler alert, her sister-in-law. Um, yeah. And then she has this one to two minute just crying fit. She's absolutely devastated because this is basically, she bet her life on this. She already wiped out, you know, she killed her parents. She killed the protectionist. She basically was trying to just shed this life on the farm. This was her ticket out. This was basically all or nothing for her. And to be rejected, you could feel it in Mia Goth's performance, just the heartbreak and the devastation. Like, you know, it made you forget about all the terrible things she'd done earlier in the movie. And, like, I genuinely felt for her. I was almost tearing up at this part, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I was. This was major, like, I want to give this character a hug moment, even though she's covered in her mother's blood. You know what I was thinking during this entire time? What? Was X-Factor really a phrase in 1918? That's a good question. <laughs> also, why would why would a church person call it the X-Factor? Also, <laughs> I, you know, a couple of points on this is that, one, when they said the younger and blonder thing, I was shaking my fist. I was like, ah, oh, blonde, strike again! <laughs> this is nonsense! But also... I, was she the best dancer in the world? I mean, probably not. But probably again, not. we're seeing it through her warped, sort of tailored to her own desire mindset and out yes. outlook. You know what I mean? I just imagined her dancing like, like actually it was like the scene in Wolf of Wall Street where he thinks he drove home fine on the drugs <laughs> and then you find out what actually <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, that's a good comparison. That's I think true. it says a couple of things about her. One is that I don't think she... I think she likes dancing. I don't think she actually loves dancing. I think she just wants to be a star and to be admired. That's that's her ultimate thing. And she even says so much later on. I think it also shows... I don't know if it's delusional or, or if I'm totally wrong... This was like them going to a few cities in the state to like cheer people up, right? Yeah. I don't know if this was necessarily leading to a full-time chorus girl position in a company. You know what I mean? <laughs> true. True. Like I understood it was all she had and so like I understand the emotional stakes, but I think it's also like she thought that this was the biggest break ever. And I think it was they'll probably go around to a few churches and community centers, get some claps, and then go right back home. And then make billions of dollars. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, she has she does seem to have a tendency of building things up in her mind, which who doesn't have that tendency sometimes when you build something up in your head so much that when the actual thing comes along or would be to come along... It, it may not be all you built it up to be. 
I experience that every day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm saying like that anticipation in that, you know, when you no, look... <laughs> you're a thousand percent correct. A thousand percent correct. I'm sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. You're good. I'm done. Sometimes your imagination is so powerful, and maybe you guys connect to this or maybe not, that you like have a fantasy and it's like almost real for a minute and then you like open your eyes and you're staring at your bu- your bureau and you're like oh yeah this is my life <laughs> not necessarily a bad thing but it happens it's got dark it's got dark <laughs> it happens sometimes and it's not necessarily a bad I'm, I'm not like sad with my life but you're like oh yeah that's just not real at all <laughs> oh man who hasn't been there though i think that's part of what helps you empathize with the character though yeah, it really does. I'm fine. It's it's a it's a part of life. Let's just admit it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. As long as long as you're not going to these extremes. Well, of course. Uh, okay, fine. I'll put my pitchfork down. <laughs> yeah, the hey. pitchfork really had its day. No ice stuff this time, though. That's true. It's true. It's that mouth. Not even stuff. the goose. That poor. What did the goose think was happening? Come on, goose. Yeah, that goose was just kind of stupid. It just walked in. It's like, hey, what's up? You know, it's a good thing that 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 goose did not contribute to the gene pool. Yeah, that's true. All right, and then we get the monologue. So this is after Mitzi comes back to the house because she's trying to cheer Pearl up for not getting the part, and she's pretty much just like telling pearl to pretend that she's howard and say what you would say to howard and i just like this blew me away there was a a monologue earlier this year that i mentioned in the movie resurrection that rebecca hall delivers and this one just rivaled that i i loved about this is pearl was incredibly lucid during this right i it can be very easy for a character like Pearl to like be laughable as far as her obliviousness to like what's actually normal behavior and what is sanity. But she knows, she knows the things that she's done. She knew, I think before anybody, that there was something kind of off about her inside. Um, and I think she tried to run away from that by doing all these things, but like it ultimately came out more so because she failed at all these things. So I, I loved how lucid she was, how honest she was, and also like her willingness to return to a comfortable life and to commit to a life with Howard, but she's gone so far down this hellish road that there's no going back. But mm-hmm. what, what, is, what were you guys feeling during that? So I loved that they kind of kept just the one shot like centered on Mia Goth the whole time. That was great. But I really wanted to see Mitzi's face during some of the things she said. Yeah. And then when it cuts back to Mitzi and she's just like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go. Yeah, hats off to Mitzi. <laughs> I mean, she also, it also kind of, the whole Mitzi being like, oh, I, I'm out. I'm, I, I'm going to head out. You know, that kind of, you know, further emphasizes Pearl's sort of seemingly fear of rejection, too, mm-hmm. among other things. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it does go back to that, like, she hates how people see her. Um, and that almost, that plays into X, remember, with the um, camera oh, guy yeah. of, like, 
so that sets her off all over again. So I like that that characterization stayed. Great connection. Yeah, totally. But um, as far as that monologue, I have to admit I was my I was kind of checking in and out at points. I mean, I like what they did as a whole, and I appreciate that they went for it. And Mia Goth, as she has throughout this whole movie, absolutely killed it. But that was a lot. And I know a lot of people are citing that as reasons they didn't like the movie, which is interesting to me. That the same you can look at the same piece of cinema and get such vastly different opinions on it. Overall, I liked it a lot. I completely did too, and you know, as as long as we're being honest about sad things, I like that she acknowledged that like this is a very like life worn life weary person she's just like i'm just tired of life it's very hard it's very tiring it doesn't yield that much for me at least in her eyes and in this moment she has to like face her greatest fear with the fact that she says there's nothing special about her nothing that's really gonna make anybody take notice um and I think that's what made me love the movie so much is it doesn't pull punches as far as her depression and like her descent into this, this hell of her own making. Um, so I, I, I thought this was incredible. I was like, during it, I was like, Oh my Lord, this is amazing. Yeah. And I thought that whole speech was just kind of cool because it made her think like, oh, like, I want to be different from everyone else the whole movie, but then when she realized what made her different was terrifying, and, like, no one actually liked that, so, like, she needed to be like everyone else, and that was kind of cool flip from the whole character. Yeah. And I thought that effectively conveyed that. Um, Ellen Burstyn gives a very similar speech in Requiem for a Dream, and that had a very similar effect on me just as long as we're citing incredibly depressing movies uh, that I love, I, th- I think that movie's awesome. Do you think Brendan Fraser's going to have a six-minute monologue in The Whale? I hope he does. It is based on the play by Samuel Hunter, so I hope he does. Um, pe- God, people are loving him. Loving him. I can't wait. Not everyone. Ooh people that are saying the movie's fat phobic oh uh. yes that's true i think even people who are not loving the movie are really loving on his performance uh beyond the monologue which again just uh, just like rare stuff rare stuff happening there mitzi running away i we gotta give mitzi all the props in the world she was calm with this and she was just like okay i just i'll, I'll go it'll be all good she tries to be sensitive to Pearl's feelings about like, no, I didn't get the part, even though she most likely did. And here's her biggest props. She took a couple of axe wax and kept going. Didn't fa- The first two didn't phase her. She kept going. Hats off to Mitzi. But do you think she actually got the part? I don't know. I, I was questioning it in the moment. You know, because she is, seems to be a little younger, blonder, the type that they're looking for. I don't know. She seemed, she was so convincing that she didn't, but I don't know. Well, in asking that, I also think Pearl, at that point, wouldn't have cared if she actually did get the part or not. She was just so convinced that 
in the uh, in her narrative of things and her own way of seeing things that whether she had gotten the part or not i think pearl was convinced she did and was gonna kill her either way i think you raise a very good point which i don't even know if pearl killed her because she got the part or if it was just because she revealed everything to her and realized i have to oh great now there's that that's another great question honestly yeah because like because at that point she's kind of convinced like i have to hide this but i just told her everything so like oh like the life that i'm gonna try to have is gone if she like tells her brother obviously but her but her brother finds out anyway well yeah i know but i'm just saying like i mean in the moment she could end everything because she'd be like hey this person murdered her family true (laughs) Is it possible Howard doesn't know about his sister? It might be. What if he, she's like, oh, she she just traveled with that dancing troupe for the rest of her life, and no, she ran. She, had, yeah, she ran off just... with this bohemian man. Yeah, she had a tragic dancing accident. She's gone now. <laughs> How's he gonna know? She was fed to the alligator. Follow up question: Now that spoilers for X, um, now that Pearl is dead. I think the alligator is going to go hungry and it's going to be like, what the hell, man? Where'd all the food go? Well, the alligator is toward its end, the end of its life anyway, isn't it? Well, the new alligator. Because well, that's still, that one still got to eat Brittany's snow, right? Yeah, true. Well, it's going to be, Maxine is just going to be her in LA and like the alligator is just going to come looking for yeah. her. <laughs> he stole my food. It's just an alligator attacking. The the alligator is going to rise through the ranks of the studio system to become an executive. And he's going to go, you don't get the part. No! <laughs> That's the twist. Yeah, that could be it. Uh, Howard coming home. So another question of, I, you know, it shows how far gone Pearl is that she thinks that she can just dress up her dead parents and have him be okay with it. If she was not so unhinged, could she have cleaned everything up and made up a convincing story? Well, I mean, she was clearly, like, she clearly wanted to hide some of it, considering she cut up Mitzi and fed her to the alligator. So it was weird that she kept the parents just at the dinner table. Well, maybe he would have turned on her if he had found Mitzi, but somehow she's going to try and dig herself out if it's just the parents. I don't, I don't know. But... They just had this just happened. I don't know what happened. They just died. <laughs> yeah, it's that's tough that's tough to say. But that's why I'm so dang curious about the interim years between this and X. Like, how did she manage to get Howard to maybe not necessarily participate directly in the killings, but at least be complicit in what she's doing and help her cover the stuff up? I think X has shown that he's very protective of her to keep her from doing that because like, he's like, don't show her this, like don't tempt her and stuff. So like, it's weird. The connection of just, we just see him arriving absolutely horrified at what she's done. And then we get X. Do we need the origin story to the origin story? Do we get the courtship of Howard and Pearl? Is it, do we get marry me too? Well, I think that would be an interesting thing to look at, too, is like, you're right, the courtship and and sort of maybe even Howard's time in the army 
Yeah. You know, see his perspective, see, you know, if there's some seeds of him being not so good a person or if he's truly just like sort of stuck in this bad situation of trying to appease Pearl at all costs. I don't think Scott Meskety would agree that he's a good person. <laughs> what if Howard brought back one of the movies and he's like, hey, I got something for us to watch. <laughs> uh, I feel like she could have realistically cleaned everything up and then just told him that her parents died of the flu. Like, her father was paralyzed. Yeah. Her mother was caring for him all the time. I feel like she could have easily said, my parents got influenza, and they're gone now, and it's just me, and it can be you and me. I feel like it could have happened. But such is life. What was the green juice at the end? That was cactic, cactus icy. It's <laughs> <laughs> cactus icy. That makes sense. Coming back from Nope. <laughs> A lot of callbacks today. Yeah. Let's talk about Maxine, Maxine. So Tywes wants to explore different styles and influences of filmmaking with each entry. And with Maxine, Matt, what is he going to explore? From what I've read, and I believe it was an article on IndieWire.com, um, basically he wants to explore the transition from beginning of home video and home videos effect on popular culture and cinema yeah i think it's going to be super cool here's a quote from him you can't make a slasher movie without a bunch of sequels what i love about this is that at least from the first two and it's only been two so far he has a different story and he has something different to say each time it's not just well it is pearl killing people each time but it's not like freddy or jason or it's just like oh freddy and jason are at it again it's it's a different kind of story so i do enjoy that Uh, i do i do fear and matt i said this to you after this might be the gold member of the x series in that first one great second one might be even better and then the third one is just like "Eh, can't live up it's good but it's not as good well the thing about Maxine is we really have no idea what it's going to be about. Because, obviously, with Pearl, we knew it was going to be about the character we just watched wreaking havoc in X. This, we have no idea. Because what, is Maxine now going to be crazy? Like, I don't understand. True, they really don't give us a whole lot of insight into Maxine, even in X, other than her being the daughter of the preacher and right. all that. Which I'm assuming she's still a porn star, considering it's Max. Scene. She's gonna be a. Uh, she's gonna be the inspiration for the song "Porn Star Dancing." <laughs> Damn, what a uh, what a callback there. To, to 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 our pool hall days when they played that every <laughs> single time. <laughs> Not our dance hall days, our pool hall days. It was that. It was uh, Crazy Bitch from Buck Cherry, Hollywood Undead, and then Under the Boardwalk twice. The boardwalk twice in like a half t- hour. It was three times in a yeah. row. Three times back to back. 
Honestly, uh, though, Max Six Six Sixteen is still better, still a better name than Barbarian. I'll say it. That's true. Shots fired at Barbarian. Any final thoughts on Pearl X Max Sixine? Anything about this? If you liked X, I I definitely recommend going to check out Pearl, but it it is a different type of movie, so your mileage may vary. Or if you didn't like X, on the flip side, if you didn't like X, give Pearl a shot. It it does work pretty well as a standalone too. I, I honestly, yeah, it does. Now that these two movies are out, say you got someone who's never seen either of them, do you recommend Pearl and then X as like the chronologically? Oh, good oh, question. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I would say go in with X because it's more appealing. Mm-hmm. And then stay for Pearl. Because if you have somebody watch Pearl, they're going to be like, I need to go re-question my life. I don't want to watch this other movie. Yeah, but say, say their opinion doesn't matter. Like, say their opinion's not a factor. Oh, would you okay, recommend? just as a storytelling like, would thing? Would you say, yeah, would you say it would be better to watch Pearl than X or X than Pearl? Hmm. I still say X first. Because X, it's a story. It's the building block. And if, you know, Pearl is just like a bonus almost to the story yes. of X. Plus, it, is it possible, and I don't, I actually don't think this because the characters are pretty strong in both movies. Is it possible that if you don't see Pearl first, or if you see Pearl first, you'll care less about Maxine and her crew in X? Because you feel more for Pearl. Yeah, I don't know. Saying. I don't know because the characters are pretty strong in X, so you might anyway, but I don't know. I don't know I, if you can go wrong either way. Yeah, I said that. I say I would say you would be confused, though, if you watched Pearl and then X, because you're like, oh, what, what, what is oh, the Oh, yeah, that's true. That's a great point. But what if... I like that. So, so what if they did a prequel-like movie like Pearl for some other, some other horror villains? Say, like, well... Well, you know Michael Myers' backstory, kind of. Yeah, we know Jason's. Jason's. We know Freddy's. You know, um, Candyman, maybe? Although we kind of get Candyman's, too. Yeah. What about the hmm. what about the, the Creeper from Jeepers Creepers? I was just about to say that, yes. There we go. Yeah. He grew yeah. up on a lonely farm. <laughs> Isn't the new Jeepers Creepers like a Fathom event? It is, yes. I think it's on like Shutter or something oh. too. <laughs> it could be wrong. A Shutter Fathom event. I think it's streaming somewhere. Yeah, I. I don't. Great question. I don't think you can go wrong either way. Pearl is lovely. Please see it. If you want to talk about Pearl, Maxine, anything with us, please write to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. If you like the show, you could really help us out sharing it with a friend, with a couple of friends, rating and reviewing on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ScreensaversPod, and our Facebook is Silver Screen Savers Podcast. Matt, where can you be found online? You can find me over at MattyXSturds, S-T-U-R-D-Z. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Tyler. Find me on Instagram and Twitter at Tyler Sudgis and on Letterboxd at Tyler96. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Michael underscore Gallat and on Letterboxd at MGallat. Thank you all so much for listening. This has been a ton of fun. We'll see you next time. Stay down to bone. Don't worry, darling. We'll be back.
Silver Screen Savers podcast is hosted and produced by Michael Gallant, Tyler Sukkis, and Matt Sturdivant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdivant. Intro music by Charles Michelle via Pixabay. Logo designed by Nathan Seidel. <laughs>